Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Chinese police have begun countering the anti-lockdown protests. What do Chinese lockdowns mean for the rest of the world? Joining us to discuss the economic impacts of the protest and the Chinese lockdowns, we have chief analyst at BuyAlerts.com, David Hockman. David Hockman, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thank you for having me on. David, with regard to the protests we're seeing in China, I think the vast majority of people uh, support the Chinese people's quest for freedom. Uh, we got a taste of the zero COVID uh, lockdown policy in Shanghai a few months ago. Now it appears this is much more widespread. What are the impacts on the rest of the world when we see China locking down like this? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a lot of that remains to be seen. However, stocks like Win that have a big presence in China right now, they just got their gaming license in Macau. However, they've already seen a big contraction, being that so much of the revenue comes from China. I think that's going to put further pressure down on the downside for stocks like Win. Conversely, Apple, obviously a big player in the Chinese market. A lot of their manufacturing for their products comes from there. With some of those riots and protests centered around Foxconn facilities, it's going to be interesting to see how they can pivot in or out of the situation to benefit them. Yeah, to your point, the stock market uh, as a whole appeared to react uh, to the protests on Monday, dropping about over 500 points. How serious might these protests impact our economy here in the U.S.? Given the fact that the current Chinese leadership has made it clear through their constitution that they want to see Taiwan as a part of China and not an independent state, it seems that they are willing to go all the way here in terms of economic policies and political outcomes, changing laws so that it will benefit them and that they can acquire Taiwan and have a greater China Sea presence, which alleviates any possibility of the U.S., maintaining a presence there and therefore they can increase their economic prospects as a result. I think that's really the play here from China and they're willing to go all the way with that even if it means tanking the global economy in the process. Now based on all that we're experiencing in the economy between uh, global unrest, inflation, the war in Ukraine, where are some of the safest investments right now? I like stocks that are undervalued, in my opinion. Again, valuations are over the, all over the place right now. It's very hard for all market participants to coordinate from a shared standard of value when rates have been so low for so long, and now they're much higher. The four-year, I'm sorry, the two-year Treasury pays a four percent yield right now. That's relatively high. Um, so therefore, that's kind of I think the cost basis of value when institutions, hedge funds, investment banks look at stocks. I like stocks personally, like Intel, ticker symbol INTC, pays over a 5% dividend under a 9 PE at a eight-year low on the stock. And I think it has significant growth prospects from here. Conversely, going back to the gaming space, I like stocks like Penn National Gaming, ticker symbol PENN here. It does not pay a dividend. However, they are going to be benefiting tremendously, I think, from legislation in the U.S., legalizing sports betting. They have a very heavy presence there, both their brick-and-mortar stores and the fact that they own Barstool Sports, a significant online sports betting player. Now, uh, back here domestically, um, we have a looming railroad strike. You have the, the, the lockdowns in China, which also affect the supply chain. Uh, how concerned are you uh, when it comes to what we're seeing back here? 
Sure. Well, most of the rail transport that goes on in the U.S. is going to be for raw materials and heavy materials. So think not consumer goods, not things that you're going to see in a grocery store shelf. Think things like Vulcan. That's a company that's going to be moving large amounts of iron ore or lumber, lumber liquidators, ticker symbol LL. Um, but other stocks like U.S. Steel, I like here they're trading underneath their book value and underneath their sales per share, a relatively low P.E. around two. The stock has been hovering at these levels here for quite some time. It looks like on a chart here, if I pull it up on the daily, it looks like it's at like a triple top right around the $25 share level. I think that regardless of the outcome of these train, uh, this uh kind of stagflation or stagnation in the outcomes of these negotiations uh, with the railroad workers. I think that they will come to an agreement and relatively soon. I think there's so much pressure from the Biden administration, 400 trade groups also jumping in. It's all about money at the end of the day. And I think that these groups will make those concessions to bring the U.S. economy back online, especially now that China is increasing the pressure with lockdowns down there. David Hockman, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Former leader of the Chinese Communist Party, Jiang Zemin, has died. He was known for starting one of the most brutal persecutions against a faith group in modern times. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. According to Chinese state-run media, the former leader of the Chinese Communist Party, Jiang Zemin, has died at the age of 96. He passed away due to leukemia and multiple organ failure in the city of Shanghai, where he was once mayor. Zhang first joined the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, in 1946, when he was studying at Shanghai's Jiaotong University. That's according to the People's Daily, a news outlet controlled by the CCP. In 1989, Zhang rose to power due to his involvement in the Tiananmen Square massacre, when the communist country's military killed an estimated 10,000 unarmed pro-democracy protesters. Soon after, Zhang was promoted to general secretary of the CCP, replacing Zhao Ziyang, who was sympathetic to the student demonstrators. A few years later, in 1993, Zhang became the head of the Chinese regime, and in 2001, he helped China get into the World Trade Organization. During Zhang's time as the leader, a spiritual practice called Falun Dafa grew rapidly throughout the communist country. It's based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance, and many began the practice for its health benefits. By the year 1999, an estimated 70 to 100 million people in China were practicing Falun Dafa. Zhang saw the large movement as a threat to the CCP's power and control over the Chinese people. And in 1999, he launched one of the most brutal persecutions against a faith group in modern times. He claimed he would eliminate Falun Dafa in three months. And 23 years later, the persecution continues. During Zhang's leadership, millions of practitioners were forced to choose between their faith or their lives. According to Zhang's guidance, practitioners who died from torture were to be declared victims of suicide and cremated immediately. Thousands of practitioners were secretly killed for their organs to be sold as part of the CCP's massive organ transplant industry. In 2003, Zhang was replaced by Hu Jintao as head of the Chinese regime. The persecution of Falun Dafa and other ethnic groups in China continues to this day under the regime's current leader, Xi Jinping. Jason Perry, NTD News. 
And here to discuss the death of China's former dictator and what it might mean for the people of China and beyond, we're happy to have executive director of the Falun Dafa Information Center, Levi Browdy. Levi Browdy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. Levi, the death of former head of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, Jiang Zemin, comes at a critical time inside of China amidst the civil unrest not seen in decades. Uh, some Western media outlets have recognized the death of the former head of the Communist Party and what he'll be uh, remembered for. What do you think will be the legacy of uh, Jiang Zemin? The legacy of Jiang Zemin is primarily as the architect of the persecution of 100 million innocent people. He was the one who ordered that the persecution of Falun Gong start. He was the one who targeted and mandated that they be bankrupt financially, that they ruin their reputations, that they use torture to break Falun Gong. So he was really the mastermind. It all started from him um, in persecuting the, the peaceful Buddhist-based practice known as Falun Gong. Um, he's also gonna be noted for uh, he was the man who ordered forced organ harvesting. So that's the atrocity of taking mostly prisoners of conscience in China, killing them, extracting their organs, and selling those organs for enormous profit. This horrific atrocity really took off when John Zeman gave the order to do this on Falun Gong on a wide scale. Um, so this persecution campaign that he initiated, that he oversaw, over the last 23 years has decimated, torn apart millions of families across China. Um, and really, you know, at a time when China was trying to recover from Tiananmen Square and kind of join the world community, it thrust the entire society back decades, uh, back to its sort of tyrannical roots. And, and it's really hard to overstate just what a terrible impact this had, certainly on the victims, the Falun Gong practitioners themselves, but on the broader Chinese society. So I think we need to be clear. Jensenman uh, belongs alongside the worst tyrants in history, the dregs of humanity that have caused unmeasurable suffering upon humanity. That is Zhang's legacy. I guess my question is, who are these uh, Falun Gong practitioners inside of China? And how widespread is or th this persecution? Because it is still ongoing. And are you optimistic that the persecution will stop now that the person in charge of um, designing it is essentially no longer alive. Sure. Well, Falun Gong is a Buddhist-based practice um, that's really rooted in traditional Chinese culture. And what me many people have forgotten or didn't know it is widely popular in China. In the 1990s, Falun Gong was everywhere, every park, every city, every town. Um, one in every 13 people, 100 million people at that time, were practicing Falun Gong by 1999. And so, John looked at this popularity and he alone was the one who ordered this persecution. And if you're going to persecute 100 million people that's everywhere in society, that persecution itself has to be everywhere. And that's really what we've seen. It's not just the police and security forces and, and various paramilitary um, uh, personnel that are ordered to go after Falun Gong. Every university, every workplace, every corporation has a CCP liaison who's in charge of identifying the people who practice Falun Gong in their organization and sending them to a brainwashing center or a prison camp or a labor camp. And so this persecution really is everywhere in China. And again, we're in, if you look at the numbers, millions of people who practice Falun Gong over the last 23 years have at some point been detained and often many of them have tortured and been killed. And according to the China Tribunal, uh, which convened in London a few years ago, 
there were upwards of 60,000 or more Falun Gong people being killed every year to extract their organs. That was their findings. And so, again, it's hard to overstate this. I've got hundreds of Chinese friends. Every single one, almost every single one has a story. A mother that was tortured to death, a kid who's gone missing inside the labor camp system, an entire family that's been torn apart because the mother practices and the state ordered that the father divorce them and ostracize her. So the impact has been enormous across Chinese society. It's amazing. It seems like Falun Gong is not, uh, you know, like an ethnic minority. It's it's part of the mainstream, if you will, of the whole country. Now, is there a reason that the persecution of Falun Gong might not be as commonly referred to as other persecuted groups inside of China, especially given the fact the numbers, um, you know, are, are the largest in terms of groups that are being persecuted? And I think it really comes down to three reasons. The first reason we have to understand is when the persecution first started in 1999, there was enormous political and economic will in the West to bring China into the WTO, to sort of bring China into the world community. And for many, most perhaps out of naivete, but for many, they didn't want anything to stand in the way of that. And so unfortunately, it, it came at a time when many people didn't want to look at any dark sides of China. They just wanted to usher in this sort of new uh, working together. So that was one reason. The second reason is Falun Gong was not known in the West. I mean, if you talk about Uyghur Muslims, well, people know what a Muslim is, or Tibetan Buddhist, people know what a Buddhist is. What's Falun Gong? And so there was no really any knowledge of, of Falun Gong in the West, and Jiang Zemin and the Communist Party took advantage of that, and they pushed very hard and very systematically this idea that, oh, Falun Gong is a cult. Well, it's the exact opposite of that in reality, but they didn't care. They needed a narrative that would help um, restrain anybody who would stand up and speak for Falun Gong in the international community. And so they pushed that narrative very, very hard. And unfortunately, it's stuck in many areas um, in the West. So that's the second reason. I think the third reason is you have to understand that the persecution of Falun Gong is the, really the only persecution where mass atrocities are occurring in China proper. This is not off in the far-flung corners of Xinjiang or up on the Tibetan Plateau. This is in every city in China. It's in Beijing, Shanghai, Chengdu, Wuhan, everywhere. And so to, if to expose the persecution is, is exposing what's happening right there in the heart of Chinese society. You know, you've got a Starbucks in one corner and you go down the street a few blocks and you've got a labor camp where atrocities are occurring. So it's very hard. That became, because it was so ubiquitous and because it was so horrific, it became the third rail for the CCP. You know, you might be able to report on Uyghurs or Hong Kong or something like that, but you could not report on what was happening with Falun Gong. Um, because to expose that would, I think from the CCP's perspective, it represented an existential threat. And, and we saw many, many examples of this. I mean, back in 2010, the Washington Post just killed the story because the Chinese embassy picked up the phone, made a phone call, and this whole story they were playing on Falun Gong didn't happen. Um, a New York Times reporter in 2019 testified before the China Tribunal that she was about to report something fairly big on forced organ harvesting, and the higher-ups in her organization uh, blocked her from doing that. And so, and there's many, many examples. It's not just those two papers. It's, it's, it's been um, an enormous effort of pressure, political pressure, financial pressure by the CCP to not tell the Falun Gong story in the West. And, and all those three things have really come together and unfortunately and tragically has been very effective in keeping Falun Gong out of the news. 
You know, Levi, of course, we don't take uh, any joy in celebrating the death of anybody, but perhaps um, a dictator with so much blood in his hands, uh, you know, the, the death of Jiang Zemin will maybe give some hope to the millions of uh, Falun Gong practitioners who've uh, been so deeply affected over the past 20-some uh, years of persecution. Uh, Levi Browdy, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.